Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Matt Carter, pastor preaching here. We're so glad you're here today. Um, I want to invite you to open up the, your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 10, verse 30. <clears throat> if this is uh, your first Sunday here at the Stone, we're so glad that you've joined us. We know there's a lot of things you could be doing in Austin, Texas on a beautiful day like today, so we're glad that you're here. We're continuing our series that we're calling The Art of Neighboring, and it's a series that we're um, joining with other churches throughout the city, looking at what it looks like to fulfill what Jesus said was the greatest commandment, which is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, and soul, and to love our neighbor <coughs> as ourself. And um, kind of that's where we talked about, or what we talked about rather last week is we looked at how Jesus was asked, what is the single greatest commandment? And Jesus gave two answers. He said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He said, there's no greater commandment than these, right? And the point that he was trying to make was this, is that there can be no separation in our lives between loving God and loving people. We talked about how it's entirely possible for you to love people but not love God, but it's entirely impossible according to the scriptures uh, to love God, but then in turn not have that love demonstrated for the people around you in your life. <clears throat> and today what I want to do is I want to look at a story that I would say the vast majority of us have probably at least heard reference at some point in our life, if not heard, preached on many times, and that's the story of the Good Samaritan. We're going to dig down into it. There's a lot there, probably more than you learned in Sunday school growing up, but it's a story that Jesus tells in response to the question, how do I inherit eternal life? This expert in the law walks up to Jesus and he asks that question. He's probably testing Jesus and he says, Jesus, how do I go to heaven? And Jesus kind of throws the question back at him and says, well, you're an expert in the law. Why don't you answer the question? What, is the, what does the law say? And so the lawyer responded, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> and then Jesus looks back at him and says, pretty cool answer. He looks at him and says, you have the right answer. That is correct. And then Jesus says, now go and actually do that and you'll live. He said, you have all the right information, you're correct, now go do those two things, and you'll have eternal life. <clears throat> and it's kind of like it hit the lawyer, that it never, he never, it never dawned on him before that I actually, it's not enough just to know the information, but I actually have to go out there and do it. And so he asked Jesus, in turn, a very important question. He's like, oh my goodness, I got to go do this. And so he asked Jesus, okay then, if I have to do this, who then is my neighbor? He says, if I've got to go love my neighbor, like the scripture says I'm supposed to, if I've got to do it, then who is he? Who is my neighbor? And what does it look like to actually go and love them? <clears throat> and so this story is critical for our series because it's going to answer those two questions. Who is our neighbor? We're called to love them. Who are they? And then in turn, what does it look like to actually go and do that? And so let's read this together. Let's start in Luke chapter 10. Verse 30, and hopefully at least you'll walk away today with those two answers. Who's your neighbor? What does it look like to love him? In verse 30, Jesus replied to the lawyer in answering that question, who's my neighbor and what does it look like to love him? He said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers <coughs> who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Okay, so Jesus starts telling this story. 
of this guy that was traveling down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, this road from Jerusalem to Jericho still exists today. I've been on it a couple of times. Um, just to give you an idea of what it looks like, and it still looks just like this today, it's a 17-mile stretch of road that goes from the holy city of Jerusalem down to the city of Jericho down by the Dead Sea. <clears throat> it's really steep. It drops about 17 miles in the course of about 4,000 feet. <clears throat> I'm sorry for my coughing. I have a cold. And, um, and there's rocks on either side of the road pretty much all the way. And so back in the day, what would happen is that robbers would hang out in these rocks. And as people traveled back and forth from Jericho up to worship in the temple in Jerusalem, these robbers would hang out in the rocks. And when people would come by, they'd jump out. They would um, attack these people. They would strip them, beat them, take all their stuff, and then jump back into the rocks. So that's kind of the situation that's going on. And so Jesus says there's this man, and he's probably a Jewish man. Okay, that's important to the story here in a second, that he's coming from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and that's what happens to him. Robbers jump out, they, they beat him, they strip him, and they leave him half dead, which the scripture just means that he's dying. And that's actually important to you in a second, but he's dying on the road. Now, what Jesus says next, after he kind of gives that first part of the story, is he's going to talk about these two guys that walk by this dying man. And what Jesus does when he talks about these first two guys that walk past the dying man is he's painting a picture of what it looks like to not love your neighbor. He's going to show us a picture of what it looks like for a couple of guys who would say that they love God, but that love is not actually demonstrated in how they love the people around them. So we'll pick up the story. Luke chapter 10, verse 31. <coughs> Jesus said, now, now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, talking about the guy that was dying, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Again, so again, you've got this treacherous road. You've got this Jewish man laying on the ground. He's bleeding. Uh, he's stripped naked. He's dying. And, <clears throat> and the first guy that comes along is a priest, Good news for the dying man, right? A priest is coming by. And let me tell you who the priests are. Priests were the descendants of Aaron. They were descendants of Aaron. And what the priests did is they were the guys that actually had the responsibilities of running the religious services in the temple up in Jerusalem. Okay? They were the, they were the guys that were basically pastors of the day. They ran the religious services. And so this, this priest was the first guy that comes walking by. And then there's another guy that comes walking by. He, Jesus said he was a Levite. Now the Levites were from the tribe of Levi. And they were not priests, but they would assist the priests in the religious services in the temple in Jerusalem. And so basically you've got these two guys that were walking down the road. And hear this, they had probably just left performing religious services in God's temple in Jerusalem when they see this guy laying, dying on the side of the road. And so anybody that was hearing Jesus tell this story, all the people that were standing around watching or listening to this lawyer question Jesus, anybody hearing Jesus tell this story would have probably automatically assumed that this is this dying guy's lucky day because if there was anybody that ought to know that, that you don't just say you love God, but you actually have to love people, it would have been the priest or the Levite. 
Everybody that heard that story would automatically assume these two guys are closer to God than anybody. And therefore, of course, they're going to stop and they're going to help their fellow Jewish uh, countrymen there laying, dying on the road. But watch again what happens. Verse 31. He says, now by chance, Jesus said, (coughs) a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, the Levite. When he came to the place and he saw him, he passed by on the other side. These two guys that probably just left the church service, they're walking down this road. They see a Jewish guy laying there dying on the road. And the scripture says they went to the other side of the road and walked on past. So here's the question. Here's a question I have for you today in light of, as Jesus is saying, this is what it looks like to not love your neighbor. One of my questions for you today is why? Why do you think these two guys that would be the very first people to tell you that they loved God, why do they pass by on the other side of the road? Why do these two guys that would be the very first people to tell you that the scripture says that followers of God don't just say they love God, but they actually love people, and that's the second greatest commandment, why do they walk by? Why do they, why do they see a need right in front of their faces and then intentionally not engage that need? Why, why does these two men's knowledge about it, what, what it looks like to love their neighbor far exceed their obedience to actually doing it? Now, Jesus honestly doesn't answer the question. He just kind of lifts these two guys up, these two religious guys, and says they walk by. He doesn't give the answer <coughs> for why they don't stop. But I think there's a couple of things we can inf- uh, incur from the text, or infer from the text, rather. And the first is this. I think there's a really good chance that it's likely that neither one of these men stopped because of fear. Because of fear. These guys knew. They knew the road. They traveled it. They knew that there's good chance that the people that robbed and and beat and stripped, almost killed the guy that's laying on the road, could very easily still be in the rocks. And, And if they stopped and helped this guy and took care of this guy's needs, that they could be robbed and and beaten too. And so I I think it's entirely possible that fear of what would happen if they stopped and loved their neighbor was what actually kept them from loving their neighbor and fulfilling the second greatest commandment. And I want to be clear to you guys that I don't think the scripture is teaching here that the only definition of loving your neighbor is intentionally putting yourself in harm's way. I think that is part of what it means, and it definitely can mean that, but the principle here is what I want to dig into for myself and for you, and that's this, is, is how often, church, in your life, just like the priest and the Levite, have you allowed fear to keep you from fulfilling the second greatest commandment? How often have you allowed fear to hinder you from loving and engaging in the needs of the people that are around you? I know for me it happens probably more than I want to admit. As I shared with, I share often actually, I'm, I'm a pretty introverted guy, <clears throat> which doesn't make sense because God called me to be a preacher, but I'm just kind of naturally introverted. I'm kind of filled up by alone time. And, and um, I live in a neighborhood that is a, that's just built it's in a big circle. And so there's houses on the inside of the circle and there's houses on the outside of the circle and that's what my neighborhood looks like. And, and every night, pretty much, a bunch of people, they go out into the neighborhood that live there and everybody walks their dog or everybody jogs or exercises and um, 
and for a person that's an introvert like me that has a dog and has to walk it, that's a difficult situation. And so what I do is I always go on the inside of the circle and kind of walk the dog counterclockwise. But my problem is there's all these people that are walking their dog on the outside of the circle going clockwise, and I'm forced to interact with them. And uh, the first time, typically, when I'm walking past somebody with their dog, I mean, you can't just completely ignore them because that's rude, so I always wave, right? That's what you do. It's your neighbor. You wave. So I'm like, hi, good evening, good to see you, right? And that works out good, no problem. <clears throat> but then uh, something happens is that inevitably, if you keep walking, you're going to run into this person again. And then the dilemma for the introvert is what do you do at that point? Because you've already waved and you've said good evening, and you don't want to wave at them and say good evening again because that's just creepy. And so what I've got going on the second time around is I usually, I, I do like the half smile and the head nod thing, and that works good. I just kind of do that. It's like I see you again, but I don't want to wave at you because that's creepy. But then if my dog it takes her sweet time and go to the bathroom, what has to, what has to happen? I've got to go around a third time, right? And then if that person is going around a third time too, then it gets really awkward. And so you've already waved and said hi, Adam, hi to him. And you've already done the whole smile, head nod thing. And you can't do that again because you can't smile at somebody a third time because that's just creepy. So what do you do? You pull out your iPhone and you ignore them, which is what I do. <laughs> and when they're coming by the third time, I text. I text and pretend that I don't see them. And so if you're ever walking your dog and somebody's texting, they're not really texting. They just don't want to talk to you, extroverts. I just wanted you to know that. But I tell you the story for this reason is, is my fear... And I know for those of you that it's not hard for you to talk to people, you're like, you're weird, dude. Well, I am. But I want to tell you that story because that fear that's just kind of there in me has hindered me from loving my neighbor in a, in, in a, in a real and tangible and biblical way. <coughs> one example of that was one of, the, one of the folks that I saw oftentimes walking around my neighborhood was a mother and a father, and they were pushing their son who was in a wheelchair, who was obviously physically disab- is disabled. And, and the first time I saw him, I did the whole, you know, wave, head nod, iPhone thing as they went past. And, but then as the, as the months went by, I still, I kept seeing him pretty regularly and, and I never said anything to them. And one, one day I kind of noticed that their son was probably about the same age as my boys. And so it just kind of hit me. I was like, man, I bet that they, that, that that boy doesn't get to go out much. I bet he doesn't get to play with people in the neighborhood much because he's in this wheelchair. And so I really wanted to come to them and just stop them and talk to them and say, hey, you know, my sons are the same age as, as your son and could they hang out with him and, and just maybe play video games with him? And I really felt like I needed to do that. And they came around the second time and and I just started talking myself out of it. The fear started coming up, and I started talking myself out of it. I was like, man, I don't want to embarrass them. I don't want them to think that I'm pointing out their son's disability. They may not even want that. He may not even need that. And I talked myself out of that. Well, when I got home, I felt horrible. And so I started praying, and I prayed. I was like, Lord, I was like, would you give me the strength? Would you give me the courage that if I see them again, to say something to him, to love my neighbor. And sure enough, a couple days later, I'm walking, there they are, and, and you know, I'm, I just, I prayed, and I got the courage, and I just stopped them, and I said, 
I said, hey guys, my name's Matt. I live right there. And, and I just, um, it just kind of hit me that your son looks like he's about the same age as my son. And, and this may sound like a really weird question, but it would, would it be cool if my, my son just kind of hung out with your son and, and, uh, and played video games or, or just hung out in the neighborhood? And, and when I said that, the mother, just her eyes got wide and instantly started tearing up. And she said, my son would absolutely love that. And she said, but, she said, tomorrow morning we're going on vacation. They were taking the kid to Disneyland. And they said, when we get back, we're moving. And so I just kind of made small talk with them. And they went by and, and kind of the bummer side of the story is I never, I never saw the kid again. And I missed out and my sons missed out on this amazing opportunity to show the love of Jesus to the, to the family that God had placed into my life and into my neighborhood for months because of my stupid, selfish, introverted fear. You know, and I, and, and does that sound familiar? Is that, is that something you can relate to? Have you, ever, have you ever done something like that where you felt Christian, where you felt the spirit leading you to, to reach out to somebody, to engage in, in, into someone's need and situation, but you didn't do it because of fear. <clears throat> Have you ever felt the spirit's prompting to share with somebody the gospel or the love of Christ, but for whatever, you know, kind of selfish reason, you didn't do it? Um, Is there anybody like that just lives down the hall from you or in the dorm or in the apartment complex and and you've kind of seen the way that they live and you know, you know that they would absolutely benefit from your friendship and the love of Christ, but for whatever reason, because of what you think they'll think about you, you don't engage in that need. Have you ever stopped from reaching out to a friend that you know is in need or you know is in sin because you're afraid of losing that friendship or what they'll think about you? You know, I, I, for years, I've looked at the priest and the Levite in this story. I've grown up here in the story and who, who saw this need that was right in front of their face and they did absolutely nothing about it. And I've always thought my whole life, how could they do that? Because that's what good Christians do. You stop. We're supposed to be good Samaritans. But then the longer I've lived and the more I've realized it kind of hit me, I'm I'm just like them. And and maybe more than anything else in the world, it's fear. It's fear that keeps me from loving my neighbor. I wonder if there's situations in your life that are the same. Now again, Jesus, he doesn't come out and say it, but there's another big reason why I think these guys don't stop. These two men, they're supposed to know uh, God more than anybody. And I think the second one was, it might have just been flat out inconvenient for them. It might have been that simple and that sinful. Um, let me, don't turn there. Just let me read a text uh, to you out of the Old Testament that will explain to you what I'm talking about. It's in Numbers chapter 19, verse 11. I know most of you probably spent all week in your quiet times in the book of Numbers, so you probably have this memorized, but just bear with me here. I'm going to read it anyway. Um, Numbers chapter 19, this is some of the law that God laid down in verse 11. The scripture says, whoever touches the dead body of any person shall be unclean for seven days. He shall cleanse himself with water on the third day and on the seventh day, and so be clean. <clears throat> but if he does not cleanse himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he'll, he will not be, uh, become clean. And whoever touches a dead person 
the body of anyone who has died and does not cleanse himself defiles the tabernacle of the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from Israel. That's intense. Because the water for the impurity was not thrown on him shall be unclean. His uncleanness is still on him. Are you seeing what's going on here? Who hung out in the tabernacle of the Lord? Priests and Levites. Who, who would take upon the risk upon themselves and their career and, and their job if they were to touch a dead person, the priests and the Levites? See, I think the priest and the Levite knew if I stop and I help this guy, if I touch him, and one, if he's dead, or two, if he dies in my keeping, I have to, on the third day and on the seventh day, I have to cleanse myself. And I think these, probably, these guys thought, man, he might be dead, and I can't do that. They probably thought, I have more important things to do. They probably thought to themselves, I have worship services to attend. I have sacrifices to uh, offer to the Lord. I have a family that, that I need to take care of. If I stop and I fulfill the second greatest commandment, then there's all these other commandments that I won't be able to fulfill. And I'm, and I'm you know, again, I'll ask, does that sound familiar? It's how many times, like the priest and the Levite, do you, in your life, in whatever sphere you find yourself in, do you encounter a need, you see a need, and you maybe even feel bad about the need, but then the first thing you do is weigh the cost to yourself. You weigh the cost to yourself. You, 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 you evaluate the cost to your schedule. You weigh the cost that it'll take on your life. And just like the priest and the Levite, you see the need, you feel bad about the need, but you walk on by the need. You see, the priest and the Levite knew exactly what the scripture said about loving their neighbor, but for a lot of different reasons, fear, inconvenience, busyness, they saw the need and they walked right on by. So Jesus tells us this part of the story. He tells us this part of the story to show us exactly what it looks like that a person can say, how rather a person can say, I love God and yet not fulfill the second greatest commandment, which is to love our neighbor. And the scripture is saying very clearly, Jesus is saying it, First John says it over and over again, you can't separate the two. If you love God, you will love your neighbor. And so what Jesus does there as he finishes up the story of the Good Samaritan, after he showed a picture of what it looks like for you to say you love God but not love your neighbor, he's going to show a picture of what it actually does look like for us to love our neighbor. You're here, you know that's our calling, let's pay attention because Jesus is very clear about what it looks like. Jump back into the story with me. Luke chapter 10, verse 31. He says, now by chance a priest was going down the road and he saw him and passed by on the other side. And so likewise a Levite, when he came to the place where he saw him, passed by on the other side. Now look at verse 33. <clears throat> this is one of the probably most profound um, verses that I know of when you just dig down into the depths of everything Jesus is saying here in verse 33. He says, but a Samaritan, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, that was the dying man, and when he saw him, he had compassion, all right? Now, before I explain <coughs> what that means, I want to let you know who the Samaritan is, because I think it's crucial to the story, and it's crucial for us to understand um, what it means to love our neighbor. A Samaritan, Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They were hated by the Jews. They were looked down upon by the Jews. Samaritans were half Jewish blood, 
and half foreign blood. And so the Jews absolutely despised them. They thought they were second-class citizens. They didn't like being around them. They didn't want to engage with them. They didn't want to touch them. They didn't want to talk to them. They were second-class citizens to the Jewish people. And so the Samaritan is walking by, and the guy that's laying on the ground is probably a man that hates his guts. The man that's laying on the ground dying probably looks at the Samaritan as a second-class citizen. And so if there's anybody, as Jesus told the story, this would have been clear to the crowd, if there's anybody that would have been justified in seeing the Jewish man laying on the ground, bleeding and dying, and then walking on by, it would have been the Samaritan. But watch what Jesus says. <coughs> Jesus says in verse 33, <coughs> excuse me, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now look at that phrase right there. We're going to keep that up on the screen. He had compassion. If there's anything that you take away from my sermon today that I would like for you to remember, it's those three words. He had compassion. Those three words. Because in those three words, Jesus tells us exactly what it looks like for you and me to love our neighbor. All right? Loving our neighbor. Listen to this. Loving our neighbor is so much more than being nice to the people that live next to us. Loving our neighbors so much more than bringing cookies to the people that move into the place that you live. It's, it's, it is all that. But loving our neighbors so much more than inviting people to church, that's part of it. But, but the definition, the biblical definition of what loving your neighbor is, is found in those three words. He had compassion. Okay, I'll explain to you what the word means. As far as I can tell, that phrase in the New Testament, he had compassion, shows up in five different stories. In the New Testament, and every time, it's, they, they kind of translate it sometimes different. In English, sometimes they'll say he felt compassion. But the phrase in the Greek is identical in those five stories. They mean the exact same thing. The first time that you see um, the phrase he had compassion is in the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Scripture says that Jesus saw all the crowds. He saw that they were like a sheep without a shepherd. He saw that they were hungry, and then the Bible says, and he had compassion on them. And then the, the scripture says that he went to them and he fed them. He had compassion. This is what it means. It's a phrase that means that when you see a need, you don't just feel bad about the need, but you do something about the need. That's what it means. The second time you see it show up in scriptures is uh, when Jesus was weary from ministry. He'd been preaching, he'd been healing, and he was tired because he was human. And so he went away to a quiet place, and he prayed to God, and he spent some time alone. And then when he came back down from the mountain, the crowds were gathered there waiting on him. And Jesus says that he saw him, that they had need to be healed, and uh, the sick were there, that they had diseases. And the scripture said that he had compassion on them. And he went to them. And he healed their diseases and he healed the sick. It's a phrase that means you don't just see a need, church, and feel bad about it. But it's, you see a need and you do something about it. <clears throat> Third time, sweet story. You see this phrase is, um, there's a widow. She'd lost her husband and she had one son. And her only son died. Okay, and so this widow who, who, who has one human being left in her life, he dies and, and Jesus comes upon the scene and he realizes that this woman is now all alone in the world and, 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 he, and she's weeping and the scripture says he saw her and he had 
compassion on her. And Jesus walks up over to the casket and he touched the casket of that son and the scripture says the kid stood up and started talking and Jesus takes the boy and brings him to his mother. He had compassion. It's a phrase that means you don't just see a need and feel bad about it, but you see a need and do something about it. Um, the fourth time you see this, and this is awesome, the implications of, of what Jesus is saying. The fourth time you see this is in the story of the prodigal son. You remember the story of the prodigal son? This kid walks up to his dad and says, Dad, basically, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance, not after you die, I want my inheritance right now. And so the father looks at him, gives him his inheritance early. The son takes the inheritance and goes to another city. And the, and the Bible says that he squandered his inheritance on loose living, which is a phrase in the Greek basically that means that he squandered it on prostitutes. And so this kid loses all his money. A famine comes into the land. He gets hired on by, by a farmer to feed the pigs. <clears throat> he gets so hungry that he's eating. He's feeding himself with the food of the pigs. He's in the pig pen literally. And then the scripture says that all of a sudden he comes to his senses. And he realizes that my dad's hired hands are eating better than I'm eating right now. I'm in a pig pen for crying out loud. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a speech. I'm going to beg my dad's forgiveness, throw myself at his mercy, and I'm just going to go work at the house. I know I can't ever be his son again, but I'm going to go work at the house. And so the son gets out of the pig pen, walks back to the house, and Jesus, as he told the story, said that while the son was still a long way off, listen, the father saw him and he had compassion on him. And what did the father do? Did he see his son? Did he see the need and say, kid's too far gone? And walk back in the house? No. The scripture says he saw him and he had compassion on him. And the father stood up, hiked up his robes, and took off in a dead sprint to his son. And when he got there, the father took off his robe and wrapped it around his son. The father took off his ring and put it on the son's hand and he hugged him and he kissed him and he said, my son who was dead is now alive. And then the father threw him a party. I want you to listen to me real carefully, church. That is the exact same phrase that Jesus uses to describe the actions of the Samaritan towards his mortal enemy that was dying on the ground. That is the exact same same phrase that Jesus uses to describe how you love your neighbor. Watch what Jesus says here. Luke 10, 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. What did he do? Verse 34. He went to him. He bound up his wounds. Wasn't worried about the robbers. Wasn't worried about his schedule. <clears throat> Wasn't worried about the inconvenience. He went to him. He bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. It's not just seeing a need. It's doing something about the need. And church, is it hitting you yet what Jesus is saying here? Is it, is it hitting you yet, the, the weight and the depth of what Jesus is saying it looks like for you and me, not only to love God, but to demonstrate God's love to those people around you? Jesus is saying, hey, everybody, you want to know what it looks like to love your neighbor? The good Samaritan that came to a man dying into great risk of himself, 
loved him and served him, even though his enemy, that's what it looks like. Jesus is saying that, that the same exact way that Jesus saw hungry people and fed them, that in the exact same way that Jesus saw people were sick and healed them, that in the exact same way that, that, the, that Jesus saw that a widow lost her son and raised him from the dead, and listen, in the exact same way that a father responded to his own son who was finally coming home from a really dark and sinful place is the exact same way we are to love the people around us. That is absolutely, positively profound. And just to give you a picture kind of a, a little more picture of what that looks like, just some real life picture. I, you know, Aaron Ivey is our worship leader. Um, he and I have been friends for a long time. Um, if you missed worship and this is your first time, Aaron's gonna come back up here in a minute. He's a guy with skinny jeans and a tattoo and wears a hat. Um, he's awesome. One of my best, he's one of the best friends in the world. Great guy. But if you don't know their story, they um, have adopted three of their four children. They have one biological child and three children from adoption. And um, one of the children they adopted is from the United States, and two of the children they adopted, two of their children are from Haiti. And um, it's a great story now. Amos and Story are here with us in the United States. They're two of my favorite people in the world. But getting them here was a really, really long and tough process. And they would, Aaron and Jamie would go see Amos and Story, and they would spend time with them. And it was um, difficult for Jamie and Aaron because they viewed those two children as their children because they were their children, but they didn't get to spend much time with them. And then if you remember years ago, Hurricane Ike hit Haiti and Hurricane Ike came through and just absolutely destroyed that island. And Haiti is, is a third world country anyway, and they're struggling anyway. But then when the hurricane came through, it was, it was, it just blew it up. And, and they were having trouble finding out if the kids were okay. And finally, they got word back that their children were alive, but the orphanage that they were at, which is a difficult place to live anyway, had gotten decimated. And I think Aaron was out of the country. I don't think he, for some reason, he couldn't get there. And so Jamie, the mom, was sitting there, and the, and the only choice that she had was to go and go there by herself. It was a very expensive just to drop everything, buy a plane ticket, and go to Haiti, but she did. I think they had to raise the money to do it because you can't just buy a plane ticket to Haiti in 24 hours notice and it being expensive. So she did that. She drops everything. She flies to Haiti. She gets there. She realizes that all the roads are washed out. She can't just get a taxi and drive to the orphanage to bring food and water to her children. So she has to find a person that has a four-wheel drive vehicle that she doesn't know. And she gets in a four-wheel drive vehicle and drives for hours through hell to get to these kids. But that's not even the end of the story. They got to a place where they couldn't get past with a four-wheel drive. And so Jamie and this other person had to get out and they had to walk for miles. And you think I'm joking, ask her through just through mud and filth to get to her two children. And so let me ask you a question. Was, was Jamie busy during that season? The answer is yes, she was very busy. Was... Was that trip inconvenient for her? Yeah, it was incredibly inconvenient. Was Jamie, as she went on this journey to get to her children, was she afraid? Yes, she tell you, she was scared to death. It's not a safe thing to do for a woman to hike through a third world country after a hurricane. And yet, what did she do? She had compassion on Amos and Story. She didn't just see the need but she did something about the need. 
And you're saying, well, of course, Matt. Who wouldn't? I mean, who among us wouldn't if our children were alone on an island that had just been ravished by a hurricane? Who among us wouldn't stop everything that we're doing? Drop everything going on in our lives and even to great risk to ourselves. Who among us wouldn't go do the exact same thing for our little brother, our little sister, or our, or our child who is alone and maybe starving and dying? There isn't a single one of us that wouldn't drop what we're doing to go and display that kind of love. But I want you to know something, church. What the Bible just said and what Jesus is saying in the story of the Good Samaritan is that that kind of love, that kind of ownership, that level of compassion that Jamie Ivey felt for her two children that desperately needed her is the exact same kind of ownership and compassion that you and I as followers of Christ are to take towards anyone who God lays in our path. That is a need. That's what the Bible's saying. The story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus answers two very important questions. Who is our neighbor? And the answer that Jesus gives is anybody that God places in your path that is in need, even if that person hates you. That's the answer. Who's your neighbor? And that's important. Because not everybody in this church lives next to somebody, but everybody has people in their lives that God has placed in there that have need. Jesus says, that's your neighbor. He answers the second question, how are you to love them? What does it look like for you to fulfill the second greatest commandment? Jesus says, you have compassion for them. Which means you don't see their need and just feel bad about it and walk on by. Jesus says to love your neighbor means you see the need and you engage it. Yes, even the homeless guy on the corner that's there because he made really poor decisions. Yes, even the, even the, the boss that you can't stand because of the way he treats you and your employees. Yes, even the person that wholeheartedly supports abortion, you have compassion on them. Yes, even the person of the political party you don't agree with, you have compassion on them. Yes, even the friend that bitterly betrayed you, you have compassion on them. Yes, even the husband who has not loved you well or pursued your heart for years, he is your neighbor. You have compassion on him. The question I have for you as I end today is, are there people in your life like that? Are there people in your life right now that you need to have compassion on? Are you willing to, at great risk to yourself, cross the street for their pain? Are you willing, at great risk to yourself, to wade into their suffering or their brokenness? Or like many religious people, are we too busy going to worship services that we're just gonna walk on by? You'll never forget something, church. The story was told initially because a guy asked Jesus the question, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus answered and said, my followers are gonna love God and they're gonna love people. And church, his followers 
as they love people. What that means is we never walk on the other side of the street. All right, let's pray. Lord, I just want to publicly confess before this body of people that I am the chief of sinners in this area. There's not a person in this room that has come up with more excuses for not loving the people around me than me. And I just, Father, I pray that you would do a great work in my heart and in my life, that you would continue, Lord, to use me just not through the gifts that you gave me, Lord, but that you would continue to use me in such a way that people in my neighborhood and, and people in my kids' school and people in the circles that I walk in would know me not necessarily as a pastor because I preach, but they would know me by my love, Lord, and that they would know I was a follower of Jesus because of the way that I serve them and love them. And Lord, I just pray for our church. I pray that each one of us that are Christ followers in this room, Lord, that you would give us the strength to do business with you today, that we would repent of our sin, the sin of walking on the other side of the street. And that you'd convict us and change us and lead us, Lord, that we could be a church known not only for our love for God, but how we demonstrate that love for the people around us. God, I pray that today in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand together.